Michael Teo football show. My name is Miles. Minnesota gives up the 29 to 0 lead, but squeaks by Pittsburgh. The Big Ben driven comeback. Minnesota pulls it out 36 28. Final play Big Ben to Fryermuth. Nice throw. Almost had the touchdown. Chance to go to overtime. Broken up. Simultaneously, it seemed like by the Vikings safeties, Harrison Smith, Xavier Woods colliding. It can't be easy for Minnesota. It's funny, after a season of one possession, late game thrillers, the Vikings in primetime look to be having their first boring game of the year. I mean, I had a whole breakdown ready to show how crazy this was. I mean, how many games in a row Minnesota has played that were absolute thrillers. Uh, but Fox actually summed it up better than I. 11 games or one score games, nine Vikings games this year came down to the last drive, six of them on the last play. And Aikman said it perfectly. He says, so, so you're saying they made for compelling television. <laughs> you know, this is while the Vikings were up 29 to zero and they're trying to find things to talk about. I had a whole thing written up, but the Steelers start to come back after they had Big Ben had been knocked down so much in the first half. And the Pittsburgh defense, I mean, there looked to be no hope. They'd given up you know, so much on the ground in that first half and lost TJ Watt. But the Steelers scored 28 points in 13 minutes because of course they did, because of course Minnesota can't play a normal game. <laughs> Part of that was that there's a beautiful play action 62 yard bomb from Kirk Cousins to KJ Osborne in the third quarter you go oh okay okay this is going to be a blowout the Vikings force a punt and then Cousin tries a slant to his new best friend KJ or Osborne and it's intercepted nearly returned for a touchdown Roethlisberger gets his third touchdown of the day and now they got 28 points you can't have the good Kirk Cousins without the bad Kirk Cousins Final final drive was really fun. The final plays were really fun. The Steelers get that ball down eight. Chance to send this to overtime. Aikman at that point said it absolutely right. I told you Minnesota was good TV. <laughs> that was good. Um, they get into the red zone. The Steelers get in the red zone with no timeouts. They throw this underneath slant to Deontay Johnson with five to six seconds on the clock. Uh, just insane. He's got no chance at the end zone. There's so many Vikings in front of him, and he's nowhere near either sideline. And Deontay Johnson just gets there. It's it's amazing. Patrick Peterson, Vikings uh, defensive back, uh, you know, formerly of the Cardinals, just a pathetic, miserable tackle attempt. His half-hearted flail trying to punch the ball out. Why are you trying to punch the ball out? If you tackle him, the game is over. A fumble means nothing. In fact, it's actually probably bad because theoretically a Steeler could get that. Tackle him and the game is over. Set up the big play inside the 10, two seconds with a chance. All you can ask is to have a chance after being down 29 to zero. And that that final throw from Big Ben, I've been hard on Big Ben, but it was an extremely tight window with three Vikings there, two of the Viking safeties coming from the side. 
right to rookie tight end Pat Fryermuth. What amazing throw. I mean, it was a needle just over and in, and it was right there. Great throw. But also, great play by those those Viking safeties. Harrison Smith and Xavier Woods both collide with Fryermuth right at the right time. Smith gets his hand on the ball. No pass interference. A great play from both both Big Ben and those Viking safeties. And uh, just a wonderful play. It's why we love this league. It's why we love the NFL. You're watching the best against the best every night. So the Vikings win. Go to six and seven in the in the muddy hunt for that last uh, two NFC wildcard spots. That's going to be wild. Um, I, aptly named, I suppose you could say. Uh, it's also nice for the Vikings to have this win and have had the Lions loss to only be their most recent game uh, for only three days. <laughs> so they didn't have to didn't have to have that losing to the Lions stench on them too much because we only remember one week in the nfl and now now we remember them beating pittsburgh uh, justin jefferson absolutely divine he, he's one of my favorite players right now i loved him at lsu and, and he is just amazing and fun to watch how is dalvin cook back <laughs> in a shoulder harness playing after dislocating his shoulder in week 12 he was carted off he had the mri it was announced that they were aiming for a week 15 return game against Chicago, but he apparently improved enough to return week 14 and a Thursday week 14. So beats the timetable by 10 days. Dalvin cook 153 yards in the first half and two touchdowns finished with 222 total yards. Otherwise known as Almost twice as many yards as Fran Tarkenton, Chuck Foreman, and the 1974 Minnesota Vikings managed against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl IX. Had to bring it up. Pitiful performance. (laughs) First of Pittsburgh's four 70s championships against the Vikings. I love watching a Super Bowl rematch. I love the jerseys going against each other because they were part of a Super Bowl. Just can't say enough about Dalvin Cook, though. Just great, great... It was a great day for fantasy owners, uh, fantasy managers of Dalvin Cook. I've got a team called Dalvin and Hobbs, defending champs. I'm needing to win this week, though, for the playoffs. This was fun. Dalvin Cook was my first round pick in our oldest league, our founded 1976 Michael Teal Football League, and he did me good. Steelers, though, down to 6-6-1. Six, six and one. Playoffs are not out of a picture. The AFC wild card is also a muddy mess. It's wild. Uh, the last five five weeks are, are going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride, folks. All right. Muckleteal Football Show, episode 34. This show is just football everything. I love NFL history, legacy, the ups and downs of a season, sprinklings of fantasy football. Follow us at MUK underscore football on Twitter. Uh, subscribe, share, review on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. We have shows Monday after Monday Night Football and Thursday after thursday night football so we had a a whole top 10 games rest of the season subject uh to talk about today but during the thursday night football game late in the thursday night football game news broke uh, about the death of former uh broncos uh, um broncos texans patriots receiver demarius thomas uh, he passed away 
it's a it is a real bummer i mean it's honestly hard to think about the reasons for the death i, I you know i i don't know no matter what it is he was 33 and it is tragic um and in a world where our football legends generally hang around you know in our lives long after their careers it's just kind of a shock i mean joe namath and jim brown are still out there you know terry bradshaw and roger staubach are still on tv Montana, Marino, Deion Sanders, Barry Sanders, Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, these guys have been retired for 20 to 30 years, and they're still looking good, and Tony Gonzalez and all these guys, and they they seem like they're going to be around for a long time on our television sets. So, you know, if I have a football legend, you know, kind of kind of go like this um, is a bummer, and, and his career was cut short. He was he was an early, early career success guy, but... I'm I'm happy that he had the success in the league that he did. And his parts in NFL history are etched in. I will never forget them. He was, you know, Demaryius Thomas was was Peyton Manning's late career go-to. You know, he was the he was the Mike Evans like what Mike Evans right now is to Tom Brady. Thomas was that to to Peyton Manning in the early 2010s. 41 touchdowns uh, from Peyton Manning, 5 in the playoffs. But there was also, of course, maybe the most famous play for Demarius Thomas. It's arguable because he's got a couple big, big NFL history moments. The 2011 wild card. After Thomas had torn his ACL in the offseason, gets back and his quarterback is Tim Tebow <laughs> in the Broncos. I think this was Demarius' second year. Gets the Tim Tebow play. That wild card at Mile High Stadium against the defending champion AFC Pittsburgh Steelers, defending AFC champion, goes to overtime. It's a slugfest of a game, Denver-Pittsburgh, and Tebow gets that first play slant to Demarius Thomas, and Demarius does the rest. He catches it in stride, crosses the field, and turns up the burners on the opposite sideline. Just this big, fast 80-yard touchdown. Mile High Stadium's going nuts. It's a walk-off playoff win. Tim Tebow, it's you know, it's known for it's known as a Tim Tebow game, but Demarius Thomas made that play. And he's the one who uh who turned it into an 80-yard touchdown. Uh, just a fantastic one. Um, you know, Thomas, just a big part of all those those big Peyton Broncos years. Um, you know, another big play that gets replayed, maybe not as good or maybe not as as uh fun for Broncos fans is 2013. Demarius Thomas, you know, they he got he's got blown up by Cam Chancellor at full speed in that Super Bowl against the Seahawks, the 2013 Super Bowl, and that's that's the play that's often shown and it's you know it's 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 the one that set the tone you know Chancellor's just hitting Demarius Thomas as hard as he can early in the game, but not remembered as much is Demarius Thomas' Super Bowl record: 13 catches, 18 targets. He scored the lone touchdown for Denver that day. It's in the Super Bowl books. It's in the Super Bowl books, and of course, hopefully Denver fans and 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 Demarius's family can look back on on the touchdown in the Super Bowl 2013 a little bit more fondly because they then won the Super Bowl two years later in 2015. Uh, another moment that that opening day 2013 Peyton Manning's seventh touchdown uh, in the season opener against Baltimore. The uh, screen pass. So the seventh. So Peyton throws the seventh touchdown. The seventh one was this screen pass to Demarius, who again, like like Tebow before him, does all the work for Peyton Manning. 
gets his screen pass and is just a straight line power through the secondary for a 78 yard touchdown. And that was the that was the seventh one. That's the famous seventh touchdown in that season opener. Uh, he almost caught Peyton's 500th touchdown. He did catch his 501st and 502nd touchdown. And what you certainly don't remember is that in that game, it's a big deal. Peyton Manning just threw his 500th touchdown. He also got his 501st, 502nd, and 503rd in that same game. In that, uh, that's against the Cardinals. Demarius Thomas set the franchise record for receiving yards that day. That was the most yards by a by a Broncos wide receiver ever. So, a lot of good memories of him. You know, he was a great player, five time Pro Bowler, a fantasy superstar. That's for sure. I'll I'll remember him fondly for living up to the hype in 2014. You know, because after after 2013, after the 55 touchdown passing touchdown season for the Broncos, it was a tall task. But that 2014 season, Demarius Thomas put up his third straight 10 touchdown season after having 1,400 yards both in 2012 and 2013. And then he bumped up to 1,600 yards in 2014. The 19th best receiving yard season of all time belongs to 2014 Demarius Thomas. Just so interesting because 2013 is the, the year they broke all those records, but 2014 is the 19th best receiver season of all time. Demarius Thomas, uh, rest in peace. So a winner I didn't get to on Monday's show. I wanted to circle back to it because I just didn't have time to really tell the, the Adrian Peterson stuff as much. A winner of the day was Adrian Peterson for tying Jim Brown in all-time touchdowns, <laughs> passing Walter Payton. He was tied with Walter Payton, and now he's tied with Jim Brown. This is, this is a cool little like moment in the touchdown leaderboards because Payton and Brown are back-to-back. Payton has a, uh, Walter Payton has 125. Jim Brown has 126 career touchdowns. So every player that goes up past this mark, which isn't that many, but um, it has been a few now, you go past that mark, you you can sometimes in the same game or just with definitely within the same month, you pass Walter Payton and Jim Brown uh, at the same time. So, uh, you know, and I don't know why, but this mark means a lot to me. You know, when I was a kid, Jerry Rice was my favorite player. I mean, we hate the 49ers. Yeah, I know. I know. We're, we're Seahawks fans. And we hate the 49ers, but we didn't before. <laughs> like the Seahawks played the 49ers six times from 1976 to 2001, including the second ever game at the Kingdom, by the way. But we played them six times over the course of 25 years. So we, we weren't hating the 49ers in the 90s. The Seahawks were in the AFC West. We were chanting Smellway at the Broncos and hating Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson and the Raiders and Derek Thomas and the Chiefs. And as a kid, it was okay to like the 49ers. The only shame was, you know, it's a little bit of fair weather fan. You you only like the West Coast team that's going to the Super Bowl, huh? You know, but I was a kid. I say this I say this with seriousness, but also partly joking. The 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 one twenty five one twenty six career touchdown mark is is awesome. I just it's it's historical when somebody approaches it. And Russell Wilson posted about it. You know, he it's the first thing he did. The big team win, and also Peterson Seahawk Adrian Peterson. Ties Jim Brown. That's a name to tie. And Adrian Peterson's the running back of our generation. 
you know, it, it's bizarre to see him in a Seahawks uniform, but I'm happy, happy to do it, lest we forget where Jerry Rice's 208th and final touchdown happened. Is in Seahawks blue and gray from Matt Hasselback. So Seahawks legend Jerry Rice and now Seahawks legend Adrian Peterson. He almost had that second touchdown in the game against the 49ers. That would have been epic. I hope he gets it this week against the Texans. But this mark, this 125th, 126th, 127th career touchdown does mean a lot to me. It's hard for me to explain. Um, but I started to explain it by saying Jerry Rice is my favorite player. Why was he my favorite player? It's because of the 1994 NFL Almanac. And why was the Almanac so important to me? I, I don't know. But after my Super Bowl interest as a, as a kid, you know, I, I was, I believe, eight years old here. Um, my Super Bowl interest in 92 and 93, both coincidentally Cowboys, Bills, Super Bowls, my parents bought me the 94 NFL Almanac. Somewhere in there. Maybe for my ninth birthday. I don't know. And I read the Almanac. Front to back, every record, every stat, just read the leader lists, all the Super Bowls, all the box scores, everything like a book. I read these stats. And just the coincidental timing of it, of this football awakening to the touchdown career leaderboards, is that in the 1994 offseason, Jerry Rice was three touchdowns away from becoming the all-time touchdown leader. So the in the almanac, the touchdown leaderboard was this. Jim Brown, 126. He was number one. Walter Payton, 125. He was number two. Jerry Rice, number three, 124. He was 123. So they're all within right there. And I said, oh, yeah, maybe Jerry Rice could be my favorite player. And he really did become that. And it's crazy that it happened this way, that this is when, this is when I got the almanac. It brought about my consciousness of the regular season. To be honest, I don't, before this, I don't think I really had watched any regular season games and knew what was going on. And so. The season is going to start. I didn't know when, but it was apparently September, <laughs> and it's Monday Night Football, and the 49ers are playing the Raiders, and I was like, I'm going to watch this game. I want to see Jerry Rice break the record, and the thing is, I was a kid. I had no doubt, no doubt that he was going to score three touchdowns in that game, and I wasn't really watching full football games at this time. I only cared when the 49ers had the ball. I want to watch Jerry Rice score the touchdown. And I had no doubt that it would happen. I remember the second touchdown to tie Jim Brown, the one that Adrian Peterson just echoed, was a reverse, a reverse to Jerry Rice. He rushed it in. That was normal to me. And the and the 49ers are hugely up. They're crushing the Raiders. They got two. And I'm just like, okay, let me know when the 49ers have the ball, mom. Uh, and I'll come watch the third touchdown. And everyone on the broadcast is like, well, they're probably going to sit Rice now. But I was like, oh, I, the third touchdown will be here soon. And then it did. It came. It was this deep bomb. <laughs> no reason to do it <laughs> against the Raiders. And he catches it, the famous two hands up. I remember the angle that I had on the TV. I remember where I was sitting on the floor. I remember getting the poster of Rice scoring that third touchdown and having it up in my room. It stayed in my room until I graduated high school. And so... Just this mark means a lot to me, and, and Adrian Peterson's doing it in a Seahawks uniform, and it's really cool. It's really cool. And um, they face the Texans, so I just got to feel like they, they're going to do it. Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, they clearly have some kind of awareness of this. 
they got plenty of other running backs to take the between the 20 stuff. Get that touchdown for Adrian Peterson so we can go over Jim Brown. It's not the achievement it once was. It's like going into ninth place now um, because it has happened a few times after Rice in 94. Like Marcus Allen went past the Walter Payton, Jim Brown, 125-126 career touchdown mark uh, two years later in 1996. Chris Carter in 01, Marshall Falk in 02. Then we had like this slew of it. Tomlinson, uh, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, they all passed that 125-126 total touchdown mark in the same year, in 2007. And then Marvin Harrison squeaks by in 2008. But we haven't had anybody since then. And that was what, that's what Peterson's rookie year is, 07. So nobody in most of Adrian Peterson's career has done this, has reached this plateau. And here we are, 14 years later, Adrian Peterson knocking on the door, more in the Marvin Harrison, Marcus Allen way, doing it as a ghost of himself, but it's still an accomplishment. It's still really cool, and I'm rooting for it huge. But I promise the Seahawks-Texans game is not one of the games we'll be previewing (laughs) for week 14, (laughs) because there's nothing else other than that. All right, let's get to the week 14 preview. Let's talk about Dallas versus the Washington football team, part one. Part two will be the day after Christmas. So we got two more matchups between these two teams. And Dallas has a two-game lead on the Washington football team. So they need this. The football team's got a four-game win streak. Taylor Heineke defined his up and down, you know, but four straight wins, that seems pretty consistent. Um, and if the playoffs were to end today, the football team would be the sixth seed. So they're they're in the hunt. Uh and big chance to make both the division crown realistic uh, as a Washington football team goal. Ron Rivera, you know, late season uh, classic. He he always did this with the Panthers as well. Um, But it's also a chance to stave off the other wild card bottom dwellers, including the Vikings just won tonight. 49ers also six and six. Um, Just this legion of NFC South teams, Falcons, Panthers, Saints are at five and seven. They're just one game below the football team. So, Washington needs to win this. Meanwhile, the Cowboys need to win this. <laughs> They're eight and four. They're shaky. Dak has not put through a great stretch here. Zeke is banged up. The defense is regarded as playing well because of last week. Might want to think about the week before as well. You know, they gave up a thing rocked by Derek Carr and the Raiders on Thanksgiving. Though they do have Demarcus Lawrence back. They're legit top five talent on the edge, and he is now back. That's a big deal. Um, a win here. Almost clinched the division, Put gives a three-game lead with four games to go for Dallas. So it, it's a huge deal to get this win, knock Washington down to six and seven with the Eagles, and Dallas would then go to nine and four. That's massive. This is a huge swing. This is a huge game, and Mike McCarthy is confident. He said, we're going to win this game. I'm confident in that, which is fine. I'm sure they're going to say, oh, that's bulletin board. I mean, what do you want them to say? Who knows what's going to happen out there? Like, you know, but saying it, especially in the Dallas, Texas media market, it's not a guarantee, but it's, you know, it's a statement that is not normal. And I think he said it on purpose. He must be confident, especially in that media market. (laughs) It just, I think he's going to, I think Dallas knows they've, they've got this. They're favored by four. I think Dak shows up. I think the offensive line shows up. Rekindles our faith in, in Dallas. I'll take them to cover and win. All right. Baltimore-Cleveland part two. 
They played in week 12, Sunday night football. Baker and Lamar looked like all hell. They didn't play very well. Lamar, four interceptions. Baker, feeble attempts at, at sustaining drives. And the Browns, I mean, like the football team, the Browns, they have this chance at this critical juncture to make the following four weeks much more interesting. They are six and six. Ravens are eight and four. It's actually a very similar situation. The only difference is that Baltimore and Cleveland have Cincinnati to contend with, um, whereas Dallas and Washington football team aren't aren't as worried about the the uh, the Giants or or the Eagles who are also six and seven. So Baltimore and Cleveland, same situation. Baltimore's eight and four. Cleveland six and six. A win and suddenly Browns are back in this. A loss and the Baltimore has has put the three game lead. I'm going to take a risk here and I'm going to say that the Browns have healed up that they have a unique situation where they've been able to just think about the Ravens for three weeks. They played the Ravens in week 12. They had the bye, and now they play the Ravens in week 14. So they've just been thinking about Lamar, about Wink Martindale's defense. Maybe Baker's a little bit healthier with the rest of the rest. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take the Browns here. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Uh, San Francisco versus Cincinnati. Good game. Another important game. This, this, these December NFL games are so fun. With all the parody in the NFL, this is our reward. Sometimes it can be kind of grating. It's like, man, no, who's good? Nobody's good. But our reward for that feeling is how many good games there are. The Bengals need this. Not just for the standings but, and to keep Baltimore and Cleveland out, but also to avenge the 1981 and 1988 Super Bowl losses to the 49ers. I'm kidding. Uh, this game is a pick 'em. I mean, I believe it's a 49ers favored by one right now. Uh, Joe Burrow is definitely better than Garoppolo, and Bengals are definitely um, been hotter. You know, they they lost to the Chargers. It seemed like kind of a fluky loss with those two major turnovers that don't seem like they would repeat. But the injury news is circling in in positive favors for for San Francisco because Debo Samuel may be back. And more importantly, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, that pinky. We really don't know what's going on with that. He came back in the game. He threw the ball well. But, you know, that can happen. When it, it, that can happen because you got the adrenaline going or there just hasn't been enough time. When you wake up that next day, you know, the swelling and, and all the differences there. So that that's something, something to be looking at. I'll take San Francisco for that reason. I just don't know what we're going to see out of Burrow. But... Maybe he can gut out a legendary performance in honor of Ken Anderson and Boomer Esiason. All right, Buffalo versus Tampa Bay. And Buffalo, man, oh, they look like the toast of the AFC only a month ago. And now they're in, in real danger. <laughs> they're at seven and uh seven and four, seven and five, and they lost to Belichick in the Windy Monday game and now they now they face Brady in Tampa Bay in a crucial must win, and they got to pay Belichick again. Now they have three Brady Belichick games in four weeks. Buffalo does not deserve this. Like, come on, <laughs> Brady and Belichick separated so that they have to can face Buffalo more. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, what is this? What is the twenty twenty one NFL season? We got we got week thirteen. We got Brady throwing the ball 50 times to beat Atlanta. We got Belichick running the ball 50 times to beat Buffalo. 
Is this the timeline we all deserve? What did we do? It's 2021. We should be rid of these guys by now. They, they had a dynasty for two decades. Now we're in the third decade. We're still going. We're still going. It's incredible. Uh, I just want to point out one thing, just one thing about my last week's episode in which I did the awards for the Beatles get back and I gave some teams some awards. I gave the Bills the long and winding road award a week ago. And now look at this lyric, the wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day the the wild and windy night that the rain has washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day this was the bills paul mccartney always knew that this would be about the week 13 buffalo bills (laughs) oh man they're in a tailspin of confidence i mean and they've just been so frustrated sean mcdermott micah hyde jordan poyer they're all very frustrated uh my worry is that they're unraveling you know are they feisty or are they unraveling and i think unraveling mcdermott and the whole team i mean they were upset at everything even before they lost to new england they they knew they were gonna lose that's my theory you know that's my television psychiatrist uh uh hour here and again this game is in tampa bay this is this is not a great matchup for buffalo this is um not a great time to face tom brady <laughs> there never has been for buffalo but here he is here he is buffalo your favorite guy so yeah i mean this game's got tom brady and sudden superstar leonard fournette you know what's more brady than than having an offense where a overlooked veteran is somehow a statistical superstar all of a sudden i'm taking tampa bay here and the brady belichick double nail it's not what buffalo deserves i'm sorry buffalo all right Uh, rams cardinals is also going another good monday night football game can't wait to talk about this on monday's episode the rams really need this stop me if you heard it before but that's all we're talking about here and the Packers and Buccaneers will be rooting as well, hoping Arizona can drop a game. And for Arizona, the game will go a long way towards the number one seed. You're kind of watching. We're kind of watching the Monday this Monday night. We're kind of watching the the confidence level of Arizona getting the number one seed, and that's what makes this time of year so great. I mean, how many times have I said today this goes a long way towards, or this is really important, or this is critical? You know, that's the magic of football. Watching this live chaos become set in stone results and this time of the year knowing the stakes while you watch makes it so sweet so i'm calling this a rams get right game they're embarrassed on monday night by san francisco in week 10 mcveigh was 4-0 over kingsbury until week four this year when kingsbury finally got a win so maybe there's some lingering confidence I'm saying the Rams get back in it. All right. We'll see you guys on Monday. Follow us at MUK underscore football on Twitter. Subscribe, share, review on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Miles, and good night.